Well, we're going to turn over in your Bibles here tonight to Luke, the 23rd chapter. We're going to be over at verse 26. But as we mentioned on Facebook, for those who, who saw it, we all want our lives to have significance. But so many people live this life and they feel completely insignificant. They feel like their lives have no real meaning. And they, we all, thank you. And we compare ourselves very often to other people. The kingdom of darkness is constantly telling us that we are insignificant. It doesn't matter that we're here, giving us a low vision of our self-worth. And boy, it's a battle to see ourselves as the Word describes us. It's a battle to see us filled with power, joy, love, purpose. All the things that the Word of God says are ours. We sometimes have a hard time seeing. But when Jesus went to the cross, we know that He fulfilled His life purpose. This is what He came to do. But He did so much along the way that it's easy for us to look at Him and say what purpose He had in His life. What significance He had. Despite all of that, our Lord and Savior died on the cross mostly alone. The people that He helped that were out in the crowd, some of them that He healed, some of them He cast demons out of, some of them He ministered to in various ways, were there either silent and watching or throwing their verbal, verbal abuses at Him, chastising Him to come down if He could. But your life is probably more significant than you can see. And tonight as we look in the Word of God, we want you to see its significance and what really makes a significant life. Sometimes our view of what is a significant life has become tainted. But here in Luke 23, verse 26, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him, and the women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For in, indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that, that never bore, the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say that the mountains fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in, in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him, in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the, others ans but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now looking at this part here, this this uh, discourse with the criminals, the New Living Translation puts 39 this way, through 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Williams is pretty much the same except for just a few differences. I'll read this for you. Now, one of the criminals who were hanging there from their crosses kept abusing him, kept abusing him, saying, Are you not the Christ, the saved? Then save yourself and us too. But the other one reproved him, saying, Do not fear even God when you are suffering the same penalty. So there was a continuing thing. It wasn't a one-time deal over the course of time that had continually had gone on. Now, Jesus' significance is clear. He had 33 and a half years on this life, or life on this earth. Most of the Gospels centered around his birth, the short little discourse we have of him at the temple. And that's really all we have except for the last three and a half years. The significance of Jesus, the great significance that we see, is taking place because of three and a half years of his life. His recorded teachings, they're special to us, but there were many more teachings that he did than are recorded. The miracles, there were many. So many, they said they couldn't, books could not even contain them all, yet we have only a small number of them recorded. So many years Jesus had, they're broken down into three things. First off, preparation. Secondly, the recorded times of doing the will of God. I have come to do my Father's will. He's come to do what He anointed. And the, the third one is fulfilling the plan of God. His great significance is found in fulfilling the plan of God. If anyone of us is, if any one of us is to ask, what is it that Jesus did, we would all go to the cross and the tomb. Even though there was great significance in the people that He healed, great significance in the things that He taught, demonstrated the rest of his life seemed to be easy by comparison to all the things that had gone on at the cross even though there was opposition to him that seems to be the most difficult of times that he had now Peter he's remembered for the times that he stood up for the gospel and the times that he did not He's remembered remembered for those times that he acted in faith, such as getting out of the boat, and the times that he fell into doubt when he sank. Remember the significance when he spoke with God, the visions that he had. There are a number of things that we remember from the life of Peter that gives Peter's life some great significance. His death is not recorded in the Gospels or in the book of Acts or in the epistles. So we don't remember him as much for that, but history tells us the things 
about that that were unique. Paul, we have the same thing. Paul basically is significant because of one decision in his life. The reason that Paul is significant is because on his way to Damascus, he made a decision. If it were not for that one decision, Paul's life would not have been significant. And he would have been forgotten as just another one who persecuted the church. But he made a decision on that day to change and to go with God. And because of that, there were a number of decisions in his life that gave him significance. One was just to pull away from everything and go away and be isolated. And in that time, God ministered to him the message of the church. He then came from there. Barnabas came out to get him. And the two of them decided, let's team up. And let's go out to uh, take the, the gospel message to places. And so they, they made that decision to go. Then they had to make a series of decisions as to each of the towns and each of the places that they were going to go. And then they came back and they recounted all that went on. And of course, we know that there was another decision that was made about going out again. Not everyone is in a place where Paul and Peter and Jesus were in that their life is made up of a number of decisions that brought significance. But it doesn't mean that their lives weren't any more significant. There are some people whose, whose significance came from a much smaller number of decisions. But your significance is going to come the same way it did for Jesus, the same way it did for Peter, the same way it did for John, the same way it did for Paul, the same way it did for others. When they made decisions, when they took stands, though they were tough, they stayed with them. There was pressure to change. And these people did not change. When we take a look at the, some people, the, they've made a decision, decision, I'm going to go this direction for God. And then pressure comes and tries to change them. And when Paul and Barnabas first went out on their missionary journey, there was great pressure upon them to change and decide, you know what? Going out on a missionary journey wasn't a great idea. Really, nobody else has done this before. We're kind of facing a whole lot of nasty stuff. Well, that's just going back and, and that's just work from uh, Antioch. We'll go back to that. And they didn't. They stayed with it. But they took somebody along with them. And he made a different decision than Barnabas and Paul. And he decided, this is not for me. And he went back home to Mama. But he had made a decision to go along with Paul and Barnabas. Now, if he stayed with that decision, would John's Mark's life have been different? Probably would have been. But he made a decision because of the pressure to leave them. And so his development didn't go on the way that it probably would have. Now, he eventually became significant. And, uh, you know, we know that Paul saw some uh, usefulness for him. But um, anybody know what John Mark did? Not a whole lot of significance from that because he made a decision, I'm going home. If he had not made that decision to go home, what kind of significance would we have seen out of John Mark on that first missionary journey? 
what would have happened when they embarked upon the second missionary journey. In the book of Acts, we see that there was pressure to, to stay silent when God told the disciples to speak. And they were preaching in the name of Jesus and there was great pressure. Do not preach in this name anymore. And we saw that they made a decision to not stay silent. And we read those stories over. How many of you like reading the stories? Who should we obey? You or God? I mean, that's just a, that's a great line. Seems like it ought to be in some kind of a, you know, one of those uh, adventure movies that they do in Hollywood and just a great line to throw out there. Who should we believe? Who should we obey? You or God? And they decided to obey God and they didn't stay silent. And they went on. But there were other people in the Bible who when the pressure came to stay silent, they decided to stay silent. That decision changed their significance. They were commissioned to go out and to lay hands on people and to heal them. And we saw in the book of Acts that there was pressure on them to not heal them. Do not heal in the name of Jesus anymore. This is causing too much of a of a ruckus. Not only did the disciples see this in Jerusalem, but also Paul experienced this on some of his missionary journeys. Sometimes the pressure was there because they were doing these things. They wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And they wanted to kill them. But there was pressure on them to just walk by the sick and not change things. How many think that John... When uh, Peter and John, when they walked by the, the gate and they healed that layman and they came into so much trouble, do you think they were ever tempted to say, boy, if we just walked, if we just kept on walking, <laughs> if we just didn't stop? <laughs> I mean, how many times have we walked by that guy and we didn't do anything and we didn't get any problems? But, but this time we had to stop and do something about it <laughs> and look at all this stuff that is going on. And yet that story has helped many a person. And it has raised their level of significance in our life because they made a decision. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. Not only do we learn some things about healing, but we learn about some of the things that we have. There was pressure to give up on what people said they believed. Remember when Jarius had come to Jesus for healing. And then people came and said, why trouble the teacher anymore? Your daughter's dead. There's pressure to stop believing. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. There was pressure on the woman with the issue of blood to just stay away, to just accept this is her fate. There was pressure on the man with the withered hand to not step forth because he knew what he was stepping into. There was pressure on many different people when they brought people, uh, folks to be healed upon Jesus. When the paralytic was led down to the roof, there was pressure there about what Jesus would do. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, now there's pressure in another direction. And Jesus responded to it. I put this in your outline for you. The significance of our lives can often come down to opportunities. 
People have said this before, but opportunities are often brilliantly disguised as decisions. You will have opportunities. They will be disguised as a decision. I'm going to give you a couple. I'll give you some space there if you want to write any of these down. But I'll give you a couple of people who had opportunities that were disguised as decisions. Noah, to build an ark, did not, did that ark, building that ark, give Noah significance. He could just as easily have said no to a hundred year project. Abraham to obey God and believe for a son. That put him on the map. Joseph to not give up when nothing seemed to work out for him. Every place he seemed to go, it seems like he just kept going further down. From being sold into a slave, to, to be a slave, isolated in a foreign country, going on from there and being put in prison for a crime he didn't commit. This is not going along with what he envisioned for his life. It just seems to be going down further and further in significance. But he didn't give up. He stayed with it. How much pressure do you think he felt to just give up? To not keep pursuing this. Moses to overcome past failures and trust what God said at the burning bush. He made a decision to go and to do what God said. Daniel, he was asked why. I'm sure he wanted to ask why. Why is the king's command so urgent? Why do we have to die? Why are we being put to death? We haven't done anything. But Daniel decided, I'm going to ask why. And when he heard that there was a dream, but the king was not going to give the dream, because the wise men had said this has never been asked before. Now, if the wise men who have been around the block a few times know that this has never been asked before, and Daniel, who's the new kid on the block, young kid, don't you think Daniel probably never heard of anybody asking about this before? What kind of pressure is on Daniel? You're going you're gonna to do what? You're going you're gonna to say that you're going to get this and bring it to him? No one's ever done this. It's never happened for you. But it's going to happen now. But Daniel rose up and made a decision and said, tell the king, I will bring him the answer. And because he stood up and made that decision, he found an opportunity disguised as a decision. And rising up on that occasion gave Daniel significance for which he never backed down from and he kept rising in significance. And God gave him many things that we still see as so important for us understanding the end times today. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They had a decision. And they decided, we're not going to bow. That decision gave them significance. But if they didn't rise up on that occasion, they would have been long forgotten as others would have been probably around them who decided to bow, and we don't know about them. David had a decision when he came and visited his brothers, and he heard the challenge. 
And he rose right up immediately. He heard the opportunity. And he said, I've made a decision. I will fight him. Isaiah was presented with an opportunity. Who will I send? What did the Lord say? Who will I send? What did Isaiah say? I'm here. (laughs) I'm ready. That was an opportunity. He made a decision. And Isaiah is one of the uh, very significant prophets we have in the Word of God. Joseph had a decision. Except Mary, trust the words that he heard in a dream. And take Mary as his wife. That decision had great significance and put Joseph in a place where we look at him today and say, Oh, Joseph. Yeah, we all know Joseph. Mary had a decision to accept what the the words of the angel spoke and believe and become the mother of Messiah. How many times did Paul obey the voice of Jesus throughout his life? Not just the time on Damascus, but so many others. Now, I could keep on going. (laughs) But I think we've shown you enough. These people were made significant because of a decision. For some of them, it was several. Very often, you will go back and you will see there was one decision. Moses, it was one decision that really changed his life. That was at the burning bush. Paul, it was one decision that really changed his life. It's on the road to Damascus. Isaiah, one decision that really changed his life. Here I am, send me. Joseph, one decision that really changed his life. Mary, one decision that really changed her life. Her life was a series of decisions after that, but one decision really changed her life. We want significance, but for the most part in the Word of God, you will find that people found their significance not in the culmination of events that happened in their life, but because of a couple of decisions that they made. When we read the story here of the two men on the cross, the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, who made the greatest decision that day? Now, Jesus Christ, of course, made a phenomenal decision to do what God had said. And I don't think there's anything that is greater than that. But there's a a decision that was made on this day that is often overlooked. You see, on on that day, and the Word spent some time on this, there were two criminals on the cross. Both had done evil. It was evil worthy of death by the testimony of the one criminal. We're getting what was due. Both saw exactly the same things that were occurring on the day of crucifixion. One mocked and the other repented. Now you look at this man who was on the cross and repented. Why didn't he make that decision sooner? We can go back when we get into heaven and watch the videotape and see how many times his life crossed the path of Jesus. He may have scoffed. But he didn't make a a change. He kept making bad decisions 
and went in a wrong way and kept doing so much evil that eventually, when the law caught up with him, the penalty was death. And he even says himself, the penalty is worthy of the crime. He said, we should die for what we did. But he waited until the very end of his life. And he makes a decision to repent. Now, if you look at this man's life, many of us would say this man lived an insignificant life. He did evil things all through his day. But his decision made it into the Word of God. I want you to see something about this man's life. How is it that we know that a deathbed confession will get you into heaven? Is there any place in Scripture that tells us that a deathbed confession will get you into heaven outside of here? If this man on the cross does not make the decision to repent at that time and Jesus speak the words, today you will be with me in paradise, do we even know that you can make a deathbed confession and get into heaven? How many people throughout the centuries since this event have repented on their deathbed knowing that they would be in heaven? How many times has this man's testimony been told to someone who is dying on their deathbed? This man repented on the cross. And Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. That's the words of Jesus. And people on their deathbed crossed over. Instead of going into the way of hell, went into the way of heaven. Because of this man's testimony. This man became one of the most significant people in the New Testament because of one decision. And to this day, we still quote his testimony and tell people that are dying on their deathbed, you can make a decision for Jesus right now. The kingdom of darkness is constantly trying to tell people, you have been too evil. You have been too bad. There is no hope for you. But all you have to do is come back to this one testimony. Then read it. And there is no doubt that that is wrong. And that this person can get into heaven. Because of one person, one person in their testimony, that entire debate is put to rest. How many people do you think over the centuries over the millennia since this time have come into a place of repentance and are on the other side. Can you imagine the scene in heaven when some, some person who was on their deathbed repented after hearing this man's testimony get up into heaven and meet the man? I'm so glad that on the cross, though you lived your life in such a way, but on the cross you made that decision And you allow Jesus to speak the words, Today you will be with me in paradise. You see, no one alive had ever asked Jesus that question. No one even thought to ask Jesus that question. But here, this man repented and Jesus said, Today 
You will be with me in paradise. One decision, one decision can have great impact and reward. There was a story I was listening to. Brother Ken Copeland was, was relaying this story. It was a testimony of a woman who had been kidnapped while her car was carjacked. And she was in the passenger seat. You may have heard him tell this story. And she was talking to, she was not in fear at all. She completely relaxed. She had faith teaching that went on in, in her and her mind was renewed. And this man was trying to get her to shut up because she kept speaking faith things and he didn't like it <laughs> and loving things. And, uh, and she, I remember, uh, this part of the story, um, she said to him, look, right now, I'm about the only person in this world who loves you. <laughs> so that's pretty good. And so uh, he, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't be quiet. So she said, well, can I put a tape on? Because it was her car. She had tapes in there. And so um, she, he said, yeah, if it'll get you to shut up. And so she put the tape on. It happened to be one of Brother Copeland's. And so they're praying with this Brother Copeland tape. And he was listening to it. And uh, throughout the course, he can certainly tell the story a lot better than I can. But uh, the, the man got saved, and he even said, do you think he would come and baptize me? And Brother Copeland said in the story, he says, I did come and baptize him. Uh, actually, he struck up a bit of a friendship with him. He was eventually condemned for all the things he had done. He had done a lot of different things. This wasn't the only, only one. And he was condemned to death. And uh, on his, uh, he was on his, his way, on, on death row, on death row, this man led almost the whole place there, all the people on death row, to salvation. Because one woman decided, I'm not going to be in fear. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going I'm to keep speaking the things that are in me. And she did. Change this man's life. He made a decision. And that decision resulted in a number of people on death row who would have died and gone to hell heading in the other direction and going to heaven. How significant was her life? Now, here's the thing. When she made that decision, she had no idea how significant that decision would be. She had no idea how much influence this man would have on death row thing about these kind of decisions is when you are making them you very often won't know that you are but one decision can have great impact and great rewards your whole life is basically preparing you for a few decisions Oftentimes we are looking for every day to have significance. But really your entire life is getting, re getting you ready for a few very important decisions. God directs your days. He directs you into things that you hear, the things that you speak, the things that you read, even the people that are brought into your life. They're all to get you ready for a few decisions a few moments, a few situations that you will face. He knows what is coming. He knows what situation you will be involved with. 
He knows what you need to get ready to make the decision that is coming up. We know that because in the garden, he pulls Peter, James, and John over with them and says what? (laughs) Pray with me because there's a decision coming up and you need to be ready for it. And they didn't do the things to prepare and they were not ready. They did not make those decisions. But they could have. They could have. Failure to be ready is a result of not hearing the things that we're supposed to hear. Not speaking the things we're supposed to speak. Not reading the things we're supposed to be reading. Not associating with the people we're supposed to be associating with. Not attending the meetings, the things that we're supposed to be attending. Not being under the people we're supposed to be under. Basically, not growing. Peter wasn't ready for some of his moments. But he did eventually get ready. Now, offense disrupts our associations. Busyness, our preparation, and distractions command or refocus our attention. These are tools of the enemy. Offense disrupts our associations. Busyness, our preparation. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I don't have time to listen to that right now. I don't have time to attend that. I don't have time to go to that. I'm so busy. And distractions command or refocus our attention. My attention is supposed to be on this. Your life is more about preparation than operation. If you look at some of the the uh, the elite attack forces we have, the Green Berets, the Navy SEALs, the Rangers, so much time is spent in preparation for an op that is coming up. Very little time on the op, but very much time on the preparation. Your life is more about preparation than operation. Mary made a decision of preparation. Martha made a decision of operation. Which one was Jesus pleased with? Sometimes the enemy wants to get us in condemnation because we're always preparing. I'm always preparing. What am I doing? What am I doing that is significant? We look at Moses, and Moses is one of those few people that it just seems like there were so many significant things that happened in their life. I didn't go back through and count them. But if you count all the things that happened, remember Moses was 120 years old. How many years were between all those events? How much time had gone in before? And he basically, he had 80 years of preparation before he even started. Jesus had 30 years of preparation before he even started. There were other ones that they were up there pretty good before they they got going. Abraham was how old by the time he got, got started? He's still preparing. Finally, at age 100, 
The baby is here. Now we can get started on this thing. There's a lot of preparation that was going on in, with him. Sometimes there are decisions in our life that, that build. In fact, the, the second decision isn't available until I make the first decision. I'll give you an example of this. Remember Silas? Silas in Acts chapter 15 decided to go with the group that traveled back with Paul to tell them the decisions that the council at Jerusalem had made and to read their statement that they gave to the Gentiles. He decided to go back and to travel with the group that went from Jerusalem back to Antioch. When they finished and the group that traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch returned, Silas made a second decision and that was to not return with him. He couldn't have made that second decision until he made the first decision. First decision was, I think I'll go with you. I think I'll go. We need a group to go from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's a long walk. That's a long distance. How many think that he could have been busy? There could have been things that had to be done. Well, I would go, but you know, the family wants me to build this, take care of this, do this, my job, all these different things would come up. He could have said all that. He said, no, I'll go. Maybe he was feeling that leading. Spirit of God telling him, you need to go in this. Well, I don't know. I mean, what's the big deal? I just, all right, we'll go. And so he goes. And as he goes, Spirit of God seems to indicate to him, you ought to stay. And a second decision was made that was, had great significance in the life of Silas. And he stayed in Antioch. He's not been to Antioch before, as far as we can tell. He doesn't have any connections that are there. His family is probably still back over there in Jerusalem, Judea area. But he made a decision to stay. And then came a third decision. The team of Paul and Barnabas broke up. Barnabas picked his man and he went one direction. And so a new partner is needed for Paul. Well, he's had some time to rub elbows with Silas, apparently, from the trip from Jerusalem on over to Antioch. Had some time to rub elbows with them while they're at Antioch. And Paul says, Silas, would you like to go with me on my second missionary journey? And Silas probably didn't spend a whole lot of time. I don't know, maybe a a second or two. (laughs) And said, yes, sir. (laughs) And he went along and traveled with Saul. How many think that was a life-changing event? But you see, he had to make the first decision to go, the second decision to stay, and the third decision to go. But he wasn't going to be offered that third decision until he made the first decision and then the second decision. Sometimes these decisions can build. And if I don't make the right first decision, we're not in the right spot. Your life is more about preparation than operation. If you want to become significant for God, you need to do the prep. And prep can take a lot of time. You're not just trying to build up knowledge of the Word. You're trying to build, you're working to build faith on the inside. You're working to build that dependency on the Spirit of God. To know when the Spirit of God says, take that, do that, go after that. You're ready. You're doing it in all these little decisions because a bigger decision is coming up. And God says, I need you to be ready. I need you to make that stand 
and to say, I will pray for this one. Maybe you prayed for hundreds of people, but God says there's one, there's one coming. And you're going to have to make a tough decision to pray for them. And here they come. Oh, oh, I wasn't ready for this. Man, they are messed up. You want me, you want me to pray for them? See, a decision is here. It's easy to lay hands on people. They're not dying. It's easy to lay hands on people. I can't see anything is wrong. They're just telling me something's wrong. But, man. <laughs> I mean, I can see this. He's getting you ready for that decision. Because you don't know what's going to happen. God says, I needed somebody on the scene here. Because this person has a thing to do. And they can't do it in this condition. I need you to help him. He's getting you ready. So when you see that, you're ready. As you are getting yourself ready, there are some things to keep in mind. First off, there are things you take in. These are things you hear, see, or read. And you need to be taking them in. You need to constantly be looking at what am I taking in. I need to take stuff in. I need to hear, I need to see, I need to read, I need to pull this stuff in. Then there's things that you ponder, this is what you meditate on. Word of God is pretty clear on what kind of things you should meditate on. That doesn't mean that all Christians are obeying. Sometimes we're meditating on some of the wrong things. There are things that you ponder. You take in the right things, more than likely you're going to ponder the right things. You take in doubt and unbelief. You're going to ponder that and unbelief. Third thing are things you act upon or speak. Things that you act upon or speak. These are going to be a product of those things that you took in that spurred on your, your, your meditations, your ponderings, and out of that, you spoke some things, you said some things, you acted on some things because of what was on the inside of you. Here's the fourth one. And people who help you or you help grow or associations you can put in there. There are things that you act upon or speak and people who help you or you help grow. You can be helped not only by the people that are above you, but also by the people that God has given you to help. They will help you as well. It's not just a one-way street. The enemy is trying to make these a hindrance. He wants to get you associated with the wrong people. He wants you to get away from faith-talking people, faith-believing people, into folks who speak other things. He wants to get you to not ponder the word of God, not ponder things that are good, not things, not ponder things that are lovely. He wants you to ponder things that are ugly, that are filled with doubt and unbelief, worry, fear. He doesn't want you to take in things from the word. He wants you to take in other stuff. The enemy is trying to make these things a hindrance. The spirit will lead you towards them being a positive influence. But you have to listen. You have to yield to it. Your life can have great significance. In fact, you were not put on here just to have 
little significance. You were put on here to have significance. But the enemy has made you think that every day you need to do significant things. And instead of working on preparation, you're working on full-time operation. You're always operating. You're always looking for something to operate and something to do. When most times, you ought to be spent preparing and getting ready. You see, you're looking for those times when God says, this is where I need you. Just like Mary. Mary's at the feet of Jesus. I'm getting ready. It's going to be times that you need me. And we saw there was a time that, that Jesus apparently needed her and she came in and she anointed him. Where's Martha? Probably complaining about how much money that costed. <laughs> but Jesus said, no, she's, a, she's anointing me for my burial. And we remember that action. Jesus even talked about it. Well, people remember this action. We can think of other people in the Word of God who have a great part in the Word of God. We know their names. And yet all they did is one thing. One thing. What did Rahab do? How many things did Rahab do? One thing. And how much significance does she have in the Word of God? One thing. How many things did Esther do? How many things? One. I mean, she kept building up to it. I'm not ready for this yet. <laughs> I'm going to put, we'll do this tomorrow. <laughs> Come back and I'm going to have another feast for you tomorrow. I'm not ready for this. But she eventually got it to where she did so. How many things did Gideon do? One thing. How many things did Noah do? One thing. Boy, we can go through the Word of God and talk about a lot of people who did one thing. And yet they are on the map. They are on the map. We know about them. Mm, they did one thing. How many things did Jonathan do? Might be able to get to two. But mostly we know Jonathan for a battle that he started because he had a sword. Nobody else had a sword except his father. He had a sword. Let's go. Let's go into battle. Jonathan spent his life preparing and to get himself ready. And he was ready. Don't let the enemy condemn you because you're getting yourself ready. You could be distracted by other operations and miss the one that God wants you to do. Because you're out there in the kitchen making the food. Not at the feet of Jesus doing the preparation. Don't ever put down your preparation. Preparation is significant. And you will probably need a lot of preparation to do what God has called you to do. Don't be looking for a whole life filled with all kinds of healings. and That may happen. And it did happen for some people. But your entire life 
can be made extremely significant because of one thing. Here's the, here's the kicker. When that one thing comes up, you have to be ready and you have to recognize it. When David walked onto the field of battle and heard the cries of Goliath, how many people recognized it as an opportunity disguised as a decision? one person in that whole group who did and yet those people heard that opportunity for 40 days and didn't recognize what it was. But then Daniel rose up, David rose up and said, I see, I see what this is. And you see the preparation, what does he go back to? Remember what he told the king? When I used to keep sheep, which was Yesterday. <laughs> When I used to keep sheep, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. What's he doing? Preparing. How did the people around him take that preparation? Not well. They didn't see it the way he saw it. They put him out there when the prophet came to anoint somebody king. They left him out there with the sheep. But David saw the preparation he may not have noticed it at the time. He may not have known that the bear was preparation. He may not know that the lion was preparation. But when he saw Goliath, it suddenly dawned on him, that was preparation for this, and I am ready. And he rose up, and he was ready. Your life will have some decisions. It may be one, it may be two, it may be three, it may be more. It makes no difference how many are there. What makes a difference is how many will you rise up for and when that decision is there, you say, I will do this thing. It will not be easy. But it will be significant. If you will rise up and accept the challenge. You can even be like the man on the cross who was a failure his entire life. Until he was put on the cross and he must have been looking at his life and saying, it's all over now. I will never be anything. And there was an opportunity. And he made a decision, I will repent. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And he made the scriptures and his testimony has been told and retold and told and retold and told and retold. And many a person has become saved because of what he did. What is it that God is getting ready, you ready for? Jesus didn't face most of these things until he was over 30 years old. Moses, not until he was over 80. Abraham, how about Methuselah? How old was he until he finally started to jump on in and do the things of God? He had a lot of years to, he could, he could waste, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> don't be looking at how many years you've been here. Look about the preparation that you are doing. And if you want to see the preparation, just listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. 
when you face a test, when you face the trial, when you face something that doesn't quite seem to be coming out the way it's supposed to be, what are the words that are coming out of your mouth? Are they words of, I'm no good? God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Why can't anything work out good? Master, do you care? You see, if I don't have my words taken care of when I encounter various tests and trials, if I don't count it all joy when I come into various tests and trials, if I am filled up with frustration, anger, bitterness, words that are not helping the situation, when I face that opportunity, I will not rise to the occasion because I will not be ready. But you can be. I think well, I forget the, the number. I had it in my head before when we were doing um, Wednesday night, but uh, Wednesday night it came out a couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago. We were talking about um, um, the, the, the runner. Hussein Bolt and he was saying how many years how many years was it he he prepared for a nine second race nine second race and he prepared for years because everything comes down to those nine seconds your decision is you're going to make it's going to fall on a day your decision may be made in seconds. It may be made in minutes. It may come over a longer span of time than that. But it will come on a day. And it was to some, they'll say, and suddenly. But God didn't say it as suddenly. He knew it was coming. And he's trying to get you to do the things to get you ready. And not everybody will respond. Not everybody will go. I'm busy. I can't listen to that teaching right now. I'm busy. I can't read that section in the Bible right now. I'm busy. I can't do these things, but uh, I'll do them eventually. And what I'm doing is I'm focusing on some kind of operation instead of the preparation. I'm the Martha in the kitchen instead of the Mary at the feet. Don't be putting yourself down because of all the preparation that you are in. God needs you to be significant. Would you stand up with me? Father, there are some great things that you have in store for every single person that is here. My prayer is that each one of us is able to recognize it when we get there. That we are prepared. That we have done the things that you have led us to do. Learned the things you showed us to learn. Heard the things we should have heard. Spoke the things that we should have spoken. We've got things moving we've got things going so then just like David when we face that opportunity the words out of our mouth are from the preparation just like Daniel when he faced that opportunity the words out of his mouth are from the preparation just like Hananiah the words out of his mouth because of the preparation 
Moses almost missed his opportunity because the words out of his mouth were not from preparation. And he struggled in the beginning. So many people in the Word of God did great things. David's 300 men, his 30, his three great things that they had done. And they're remembered for what they did in one battle or two battles. Something that just was so significant. They are remembered for millennial afterwards because they rose to the occasion. There are occasions in front of us, there are decisions that we will have to make and we need to be ready for them. I thank you that though we did not see the preparation that this man on the cross had gone through, somehow, as he passed by and heard Jesus teach, he didn't scoff as much with his mouth, but he listened. And his heart was beginning to soften. He may have even teared up and thought, oh, I wish I would have taken my life in a different direction. Then lo and behold, here he is being nailed to the cross and there's the man that he had heard in the meetings, the man that he had heard as he passed by, the man that he heard or he watched or he saw do such great things. And his heart was being prepared so that when he was next to the man on the cross, he was ready to say, I repent. And he was received. I thank you for the preparation that you are doing on us. That we can come to a place so many in the Word of God came to and our significance will be found. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen to the Spirit of God on preparation. He is getting you ready. He is doing some things. Don't ever count it as not important. Because it is. Thanks for joining us here on this Good Friday. Have a great rest of the day and bless some people before you go. On Sunday morning, everybody remember what we're going to get into? I'm excited about Sunday morning. (laughs) I am looking forward to this because it will have some great significance in your life. Have a great rest of your night, and we'll see you Sunday morning.